It's a wonderful day, isn't it? Welcome back to another episode of The Actor's Room. And today, we're going to talk about The Godfather, my favorite film ever. I love it so much. And I have to be honest with you. I'm a little nervous going into this episode because I don't want to mess it up. It's important to me to talk about this film because it influenced me so much that I wanted to go out to New York and act and learn how to act. And this was one of the films that did it for me. They sort of pushed me over the top. They gave me something to shoot for. So I want, in this, in this film in itself, is important. It's considered one of the greatest of all time. I love it. Others do as well. So there's a, a feeling inside of me that is a little nervous to do it because it's important. And I don't want people to say, oh, he did that Godfather episode, and it just it wasn't good enough. He didn't give it what it deserved. So I'm a little nervous. I'm going to do the best I can. That's all I can do, right? And if people like it, great. If not, you know, so what? I, hey, I'm going to do the best I can. All right, everybody. The Godfather is next. Here we go. Someday, and that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But uh, until that day, accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. Grazie. Yes, my Yes, yes, yes. That is the opening scene of The Godfather. Historic, beautiful, great. Magnificent, stunning, charming. I could probably think of about maybe 50,000 more words to describe that scene. Francis Ford Coppola almost didn't make it past the first few weeks of production because the studio heads were being dickheads, so to speak. Now, studio heads are like that. That's their job, to be dickheads. I wouldn't want that job, but, you know, they get paid a lot of money to do it. I'm sure it's a lot of pressure. They have a strict schedule to get a movie done. Uh, they want to make sure things are going right and everything's going fine, that the actors are behaving and the director is giving them uh, something to be uh, sure about and to feel good about. Well, Francis Ford was not doing that during the picture, the filming of this picture. They were about two to three weeks in, and this is from Francis Ford. This is what he said. 
and it was getting to the point where they were seriously considering firing him after only three weeks. That is insane. I don't know what was going on before then. There must have been a lot of disagreements about a lot of different things. I just don't know that aspect of it. But I do know this. Francis Ford says that he was about 95% sure that he was going to be gone. And he also says that studio heads will not fire you during the week, like on a Wednesday or Thursday. They wait until Friday or Saturday. That way, if they bring somebody else in, uh, it's a nice transition to come in on a, on, a, on a Monday. And so Francis had this feeling. Uh, there were shar- sharks all around him, he felt. And it was a Wednesday. They just got finished filming the uh, scene where the Godfather and his sons are talking to Salazzo. He showed the studio heads a clip from that shoot. They didn't like it. They felt it was boring. Francis was definitely scared. So what he did, he said, you know what? Hmm. We're going to shoot it one more time. So we got everybody together on a Wednesday. They shot it again. And then he fired. This is Francis Ford. He fired all of his assistants because he felt that they were, I don't want to say that they were wanting him to be fired, but they might have just been on the studio side and did not want to get fired themselves. So he got rid of all of them and went ahead, shot the scene again, did a better job. He showed it to the studio heads. They were all sort of in a panic. The fact that Francis had fired everybody to protect himself. And they saw the scene and said to themselves, "Mm, maybe we should just stay with Francis Ford and just be done with it. So thank God that happened. And thank goodness Francis Ford found a way to stay on that film because I got to tell you, folks, Francis Ford Coppola is one of the greatest uh, actor directors uh, and also one of the best directors, period, that has ever been on film. The Godfather is a masterpiece. I will say that once again. The Godfather is a masterpiece on every aspect of film. Not only do you have a tremendous story. The Mario Puzo book, The Godfather, is a very good book. I've read it a few times. Uh, There are a lot of things in the book that they don't put into the film. That's common. You can't put in everything. Uh, It would be a 10-hour film. So they broke down the book. Uh, Him, Francis Ford, and Mario Puzo sat down, decided on what was going to be in the film, what wasn't. Uh, And both of them collaborated to write one of the greatest screenplays ever written. Uh, Another screenplay I would put it up against is um, the one when uh, Jack Nicholson I just talked about. My goodness. Um, Where he plays the detective. Okay? Chinatown. That is another brilliant script. There are others that I will discuss in the future. But for now, we're talking about The Godfather. And... Francis Ford and Mario Puzo sat down, wrote a tremendous script. That's number one. Not only do you need the script, you need the director. Francis Ford, perfect. He had it in his mind, okay, that he was going to put together a cast that... You've got to understand that when you're casting a film, it's one of the hardest things to do. It gets you started. 
you have to go ahead and say, ah, uh, yeah, uh, uh, him. Oh, uh, well, he would be good for Fredo. M- well, maybe not. Oh, what about uh, John Cazale? Maybe he would be good for Fredo. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, you know, I want Marlon Brando to play the role, but the studio heads don't. Oh, my, what am I going to do? And Francis Ford ended up talking about that as well. He wanted Brando really bad for that role. And so did Mario Puzo. He was behind it as well. He said he would be perfect to play the Don. And he was kind of young at the time, Brando. But a little makeup, so on and so forth. And he did it very well. So you had the actors, a very important part of a film, okay? They got to be good. They got to understand their character, uh, be on task, uh, see eye to eye with the director, let the director help you in the role. And the casting process for The Godfather was really hard on Francis. And he says, and you could see um, there are images of some papers that he had where he was handwriting actors. You know, Robert Duvall was on it. Al Pacino was on it. Brando. He had Olivier on there. Bunch of different names. And like he has some crossed off and then he has some highlighted and then, you know, a callback and things like that. Just a fascinating little sneak peek into his casting process of the film. So he felt that it was just hard to do. He needed to get the right people. The studios wanted Robert Redford and and all of these these guys that didn't look Italian. So stupid. And I have mentioned that in the past. Ridiculous. I understand they're big stars. And they're going to ensure the studio that, well, we got to get that uh, fresh, young, uh, talented, big star material that will uh, make sure that we bring in a profit. We have to do as much as we can to make sure that profit is there. Francis talking about bringing in Brando. Oh, my goodness. This is a an actor who in the past has had a reputation of just destroying a picture um, as far as budget and scheduling. He was just, a, a studio heard Brando and they wanted to run the other way. They did not want Marlon Brando because of that reason. Um, his talent wasn't in question very much. Although he did a string of bad films uh, a decade earlier, he was still a big name, an idol. His talent, immeasurable. But the fact that he was a liability scared the shit out of the studios. And Francis begged, said, please let me have Brando. Please, please, please. And they said, no, it's not going to happen. I don't care. No, 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 no. He kept at him. Kept at him, kept at him. The studio was getting fed up. They said, fine, fine. I'll tell you what. Do a screen test or something. Get out of my face. So that is what Francis Ford did. With Brando. He got him a screen test and eventually cast him. We will talk more about that a little later, but I wanted to go ahead and get back on the point. And I fear this is going to happen during this episode where I'm talking about something and I have a point and I go, bing, I, my, tan, my tangents is just going to go flying off the charts. And I'm going to try to stay on task. Okay, I was talking about how this film is a masterpiece and you have to have all aspects of a film. And this film had all of them, okay? Like I said, you got to have a great script. Check. You got to have a great director. Check. You got to have a great cast. Check. And a, a, a precursor to that is the fact that you got to have the right casting director to cast these actors. Okay? Check. You got to have the right time. It was just the right time 
to make this film? Check. Uh, you got to have the right people around you in the crew. And Francis made sure that he was going to have the right people around him for support. He wasn't getting it from the studio right away. And he wasn't getting it from the, his immediate people around him in the beginning. So he got rid of them. And he, he got uh, other people to come in that were willing to help him. Even George Lucas was around during this time. George was not big yet. Star Wars did not come out yet. It will very soon. But George was also around helping Francis Ford do things on set. Uh, you also need great music. You need a good score, it's called, on a film. And this had it. Very catchy music. You also need taglines, uh, quotes in a film that stick with people. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. I don't get it. It doesn't get any more clear than that. I don't need to say any more. And I will go ahead and give a few more quotes from that film later on in the episode to show how that film really brought out some great uh, lines and things that are said very often. Then we will get into that as well. So before I move along with this episode, I wanted to point out how this movie is categorized as a masterpiece. Even the feel of it, the, the color of the film, Francis made a point to yellow it a little. If you notice, it has a rustic sort of feel to it, an old feel. That was done on purpose, and I love that. Uh, you can also tell that Francis let his actors be, and if they needed his help, he was there. But for the most part, he put a group of actors around him that he trusted, that he also worked with in the past, like Robert Duvall. He worked with uh, in a movie earlier with James Caan, was also familiar with Francis Ford. Uh, El Pacino he never worked with before, but he had seen in plays and in films prior. So he, he had an idea, and he put people around him he could trust. All right, uh, before I go any further, I want to go ahead and tell you my name, Jeff Tarowski, and thank you once again for listening to another episode of The Actor's Room. It's great to be here, and we're talking about The Godfather, of course. And um, the first thing I'd like to do is give people a plot summary about this wonderful film. Uh, if there are people listening who have never seen The Godfather, you may not know what I'm talking about. I mean, you're kind of going along with it. Okay, this guy's talking about actors, and he's talking about directors, and how studios, okay, we get on the movie, that'd be great. So that's what I'm going to do. I hope it's not too long of a summary. It's going to point out all the main things in the film. Here we go. The Godfather was based on the 1969 bestseller by Mario Puzo. The Godfather opens with a wedding reception at the Corleone Estate in 1946 New York City. The actual wedding couple, Connie, who is played by Talia Shire, and that is Coppola's sister, and Carlo Rizzi, are but minor players in the soup of more important characters we meet. We're introduced to the four Corleone brothers, the hot-tempered, philandering Sonny, who is played by Jimmy Kahn, the wimpy Fredo, who was played by John Cazale, uh, then husband to Meryl Streep. He was married to Meryl Streep during this time. Uh, the adopted concierge, Tom Hagen, played by Robert Duvall. Yay! And war hero, Michael, played by Al Pacino. 
arriving later than the rest and bringing with him his girlfriend, Kay Adams, who was played by Diane Keaton. From the get-go, we learn Michael is the only one who has not gotten mixed up into the family business, uh, widely known to be organized crime. That's my family, he says. That's not me. The head of the family and broader crime family is the godfather himself, Don Vito Corleone, who was played by Marlon Brando. Vito takes time out of the festivities to meet with the line of people waiting to take advantage of the Italian tradition that no man can refuse a request on his daughter's wedding day. Now, I can't talk for some reason. I can't say wedding. I want to say redding. So excuse me if I say wedding again and it sounds like I'm being a moron. But anyways, uh, I guess what it is, is that it's an Italian tradition in the mafia that if the father, okay, uh, the, the mob boss, gives away his daughter on his wedding, or on her wedding, uh, it is tradition that he cannot refuse to garner requests of anybody that asks for it. He has to sit down and listen to people, uh, you know, asking him to uh, help with their business and do this and do that. I'm sure that just plain out sucked. I mean, he can't even enjoy his uh, daughter's wedding. He's got to be sitting in this little room behind a desk, writing shit down. Okay, I got to, <coughs> oh gosh, Mario needs me to, you know, take care of this for him again. What an asshole. What a fucking asshole. So he's got to do all these things. Um, uh, the guests include an undertaker, a bodyguard, uh, Vito's superstar godson crooner, Johnny Fontaine, uh, when the latter most asked for a part in a movie, which was Johnny Fontaine's character, sort of like a Frank Sinatra character, well, he comes and he asks the Don to get him a part in a movie because he feels that his star is falling and this would get him back up on top. He feels that the movie would put him back where he needs to be. Uh, it, he also feel, feels that the part in the film is sort of like him, and he won't have to act that much. It would just be an easy time, a walk down the road, no problem. So he asks the Don for that. So that's a little example of someone coming in asking for a favor because the Godfather has a lot of pull. Now, the Godfather immediately sends Tom Hagen to make Hollywood director Jack Waltz an offer he can't refuse. Needless to say, Johnny gets the part. That's the Godfather's power. Ironically, it's the Don's refusal of an offer that causes things to take a turn. A rival crime boss named Virgil the Turk Salazzo wants the Corleone family to join him in the drug rackets because drugs were starting to become big at this time. Now, this is the, the 1940s. And the mob dealt mostly with prostitution, gambling, things like that. Uh, taking care of people and their vices that they couldn't get uh, legally in America. If they wanted something, you know, and it was illegal, the mob was a way to get you what you wanted in that way. So when you think about it, the mafia played a role in sort of uh, helping people with their vices, so to speak. And in doing so, they made a lot of money and they made a lot of friends in politics. 
they would help politicians as well, the crooked politicians. Um, so I just wanted to point that out right there. But the Godfather refuses. He says, no, we are not going to partake in drugs. I don't trust it. It's risky. Uh, he has a, a way of saying to Slotso, listen, I respect your business. I respect you. I heard you're a man that is uh, to be respected, and that's why I had this meeting, but I have to say no to you. And Salazzo makes a tough decision. He sends hitmen to kill the Godfather. In the aftermath of the attack, Sonny takes over. Now, Sonny is his oldest son, played by James Caan. Sonny takes over the family and becomes a wartime Don, seeking counsel from Vito's oldest friends, Pete Clemenza and Sal Tessio. Meanwhile, Michael, the one son who wasn't supposed to get mixed up in the family business, is the one drawn deepest into the fray, vowing revenge upon Salazzo and his police captain crony, Sterling Hayden's character, the cop. Really well played by Sterling Hayden, by the way. Love that character. Before long, he has blood on his hands and must flee Sicily. Now, I want to kind of dive into this a little bit. Um... When Michael starts to get himself involved, when Vito Corleone is shot and hurt and hospitalized, the whole family goes into a frenzy, so to speak, and they have to all come together. And Michael was home from the army, so he's around, and he's hearing all of these things being banted about, about what they're going to do, preparing themselves. Uh, you know, dad is hurt. He may not make it through this thing. What are we going to do? So Sonny is now, uh, because he's the oldest, is now the main guy to go to. What are we going to do, Sonny? And he's got all of his family around him and all of the, uh, um, the seconds, so to speak, where you have a mafia, you have a head guy, and then you have people around you you can trust who run their own families as well. So you have those people helping out. And Michael is sitting there listening, taking it in, having it processed, and forming his own opinions on what to do. Well, he brings something up. He says, I have an idea. Why can't I have a meeting with Salazzo and this police captain, this crooked police captain, sit down with him at a place I feel safe, somewhere public, like a restaurant, get them comfortable, I want somebody to plant a gun in the bathroom. And when I come out, I kill them both. And he says it just like that. I'm going to come out and I shoot them both. And, you know, Sonny and Robert Duvall's character and um, everybody else in the family, they're all looking at each other. Then they can't believe what he just said. And they all look at each other. And they all start laughing. It's a joke to them. Like this Michael, he's not, he's not even supposed to be in this room, really, you know, listening. And he's giving this advice this that he's just going to walk in there and not only shoot the Salazzo guy, but a police captain. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing to everybody, but they take a second and it makes sense. But to have Michael involved in this way is very risky And when he does this, he's going to have to leave the country, at least for a year. Now, Michael is in Sicily and uh, sort of walking around the countrysides. And he is, quote unquote, struck by a thunderbolt when he sees the beautiful Apollonia. 
Now he takes her for his bride and uh, a, a display of love and respect for his Italian heritage. Uh, tragically, a real thunderbolt cuts the marriage short, blowing Michael's love to smithereens. They found out, the mafia found out where Michael was, and they planted a bomb in his car. So what happened was, Michael was teaching his new wife to drive, and she is uh, going into the car. And as soon as she turns the ignition, now she was in the car alone, and as soon as she turns the ignition, the car explodes. And Michael witnesses this, and he lost his wife. Meanwhile, back in the States, New York's five families have, quote-unquote, gone to the mats and are busy mowing each other down. The all-out gang war claims the life of Sonny, his older brother, who falls for a tollbooth trap while on a hothead revenge mission for his sister. What happened was... Um, Michael, Sonny, and Fredo's sister, Connie, was married to a real dickhead. Real asshole. He would beat her, and uh, he beat her real good this day. And she called her brother Sonny because she was hurt pretty bad. Well, Sonny, being ha- uh, as hot-tempered as he was, this son of a bitch. And he goes out, gets in the car, and just drives off. And that is unsafe because there's a war going on. And Sonny's sort of leaving the house, the safe confines of the, of the compound that they live in, was really risky. And uh, you can see why in the film, he goes out and at the toll booth, he is maliciously gunned down with machine guns in a very disturbing way. Very disturbing way. There was a point to that. The mob wanted to look that way. They shot him and they shot him good. And then when he was dead, they kicked him in the face. A disrespectful move. After the death of Sonny, Don Vito decides the violence has gone far enough. And in this point in the film, the Don is recovering. From uh, I guess the bullets missed all vital organs or something. The Don is a bulldog, right? Nah, you can't kill him right away. So he was healing up and he was actually... I think he got back into the, the house oh, maybe a few days before this happened. And uh, Tom Hagen finds out that Sonny was shot and killed on the expressway. And the Don notices cars coming up to the house, his wife crying. And nobody is telling him anything. So he comes downstairs and sees Tom sitting there all by himself with a drink. So the godfather creeps on down, sits down and says, uh, you might want to tell me what's going on. I see cars coming to the house. My wife is upstairs crying. Why don't you tell the Don what everybody else seems to know? So Tom's like, well, I was just going to come up and wake you. but uh, uh, And he says, you needed a drink first? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I needed a drink. So he's like, well, you've had your drink. Tell me. And he told him that Sonny died. And you get a nice little scene between Brando and Robert Duvall. Uh, Brando gives you a great example of acting. Uh, it, having something affect you and something like losing a son makes you very, very sad. And you start to choke up. And you feel it in your throat. And you can see Brando sort of catch it in his throat. And he starts to cry a little bit. He, he starts to cry a little. And then he restrains. Uh, he gets his composure back. And then he says, you know, something needs to be done. I want you to make phone calls. We're going to have a meeting. Let's do this. The war stops now. And that is where you have the infamous scene 
with all of the five families getting together and having a meeting. I mean, there was a big war going on. Uh, people are being ravishly killed. Uh, sons of the heads of the five families are being killed as well. So it is time to discuss everything. And that's a really great scene in the film. I enjoy watching that one. I think when I watch The Godfather, that is the one scene I really look forward to watching. You have all these powerful men sitting down in this room and they have food everywhere and it's like a big conference meeting room and they all have like their the people all behind them sitting in chairs and you know Brando his character like he needs something and you know Tom Hagen Robert Duvall's character is kind of sitting behind him if he ever needs anything Tom gets up you know rushes over and gives him what he needs um, it's just a really cool scene to watch I enjoy it every time I see it and you get a great uh, monologue from Marlon Brando talking uh, to another head of the five families about you know he lost his son and then Brando's character lost his son and he needs to get Michael back to the United States and he wants his safety insured and he vows that there would be no more bloodshed that we will make the peace and then everybody else in the room wants assurance that Brando won't make any personal vendettas against anyone and Brando says that he will not uh, and they also decide that it will be okay to sell drugs, but it has to be contained. And during this meeting, the Don, played by Marlon Brando, notices that there is a traitor in his midst. There was somebody that betrayed the family. And he knows one of the five families' bosses, right? Bazzini was the one behind it. He needs to find out who the rat is. And just by... Being in that meeting, the Don figured it out, which I always thought was fascinating. And Francis Ford played it real nice as a director. You can see subtleties in this Bazzini character. He sits at the very head of the table. And if you follow him closely, you will get to see uh, things that he does with his eyes. Or just the look at him. Like his, his lips will purse up a little bit when something is said. And then... That the Don will see it. He'll look over and he's scanning everybody throughout the entire scene. Kind of getting a feel for everyone because he thinks something's up. Something's going on and he wants to figure it out. And he does. When Michael returns to the States, his first act is to track down Kay. He missed her. And he eventually asks to marry her. And they have two kids. After his father's death, because eventually the Don gets older and sick and he passes, uh, Michael moves to expand the family out west. Uh, he goes ahead and has his brother Fredo go out to Las Vegas. He feels that that is the best way to get his family um, on the up and up, so to speak. They want to become legit. He does not, Michael wants to get rid of the whole mafia thing. And he wants to be a legit business. So he felt the best way was to start branching off into Las Vegas. So he sends his brother out there to get a feel for it, to get their feet planted on the ground in Vegas. Now, uh, gearing up for the move over to Vegas and fearing assassination by crime boss Bazzini, Michael arranges a meeting with the heads of the five families. But ultimately... Wipes out all of them in one full swoop. Gone. And that's the end of the film.
The end has Michael concocting a scheme where he knows where all of the head of the five families are at a certain time during the day. And he has his people go out with shotguns and he kills them all. (laughs) What an ending to that film, man. It is so unbelievable, especially the first time you watch it. You can't believe what you're seeing. I mean, he takes care of everything. There will be no problems now. I mean, he's going to be the king. He got rid of all of them. Boom, boom, one by one. And he is actually, uh, at this time, while this is going on, while everyone's being murdered, he's at his uh, sister's kid's um, baptism. He's the godfather of his sister's little boy. (laughs) While all these people are being killed, you get it, you know, Francis shows a shot of El Pacino's face. And uh, the, the priest is up there baptizing the little kid. And uh, the priest says something like, you know, do you believe in Satan? Do you believe in this? Do you believe in God? And blah, blah, blah. Like they do in Catholic masses. And he's saying, I do. I do. I do. <laughs> Guys are getting just clipped left and right. So that's the end of the film. And that's the end of the little summary that went a little further than I thought. But that's okay, right? That's okay. Because I'm doing this and I have like this thing in my mind about how I'm doing this. It's weird because I've done about how many actors, right? And I had a way of doing it. Uh, I changed things a little bit with some of the actors I did. But I've never done a movie before. So this is all new to me. I'm going to see where it goes. I have a structure sort of. uh, So I'm kind of winging it right now. Hoping that it just makes sense. So I hope it does. Okay, we're going to continue. Now, the fact that The Godfather was close to not getting made is something significant to bring up. And I'll tell you the reason why. The real mafia didn't want it to happen. Uh, Threats were being made, and Paramount reportedly struck a deal with the mob. (laughs) Terms were reached. Terms, I would love to know. Uh, But without the mob's consent... The film would never have been made. I find this fascinating, and I'm going to tell you why. Francis Ford has been adamant in stating that he had no correlation at all with the real mafia during the making of this film. And I believe this to be true for him. But other parties that were involved with this picture most definitely were. Oh, yeah. Obviously, the production company was... And a few of the actors were as well, and I know one for sure. Francis felt that it would be best for his own safety to sort of stay away from them. Uh, I think that was probably a good idea. Uh, That would be my choice. I would stay away from the mafia, although they're fascinating, interesting. The whole concept of a mafia thing, you know, Goodfellas. It's such a fun movie, right? Yay! We love talking about Goodfellas. We love talking about The Godfather because... It's interesting stuff, man. These are things that go on and that we don't witness in our normal lives. So it's interesting. But I don't want any direct connection with the mafia. So Francis Ford, I think, took the right approach to this whole thing and stayed away from them. You didn't need to be around them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would risk the chance of insulting one of those guys. I think that's probably the one thing I would be hesitant 
about would be insulting them. So I think they're real sensitive about stuff like that. You just don't want to insult them. I mean, why even take that chance? I want to go ahead now and give you some quotes from film critics about this historic film. Here's one from Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. The wedding sequence is a virtuoso stretch of filmmaking. Coppola brings his large cast on stage so artfully that we are drawn at once into the Godfather's world. Here's one from Edward Guthman of the San Francisco Chronicle. In scene after scene, the long wedding sequence, John Marley's bloody discovery in his bed, Pacino nervously smoothing down his hair before a restaurant massacre, the Godfather's collapse in a garden, Coppola crafted an enduring, undisputed masterpiece. Here's one from Vincent Canby of the New York Times. One of the most brutal and moving chronicles of American life ever designed within the limits of popular entertainment. Here's another one from Michael Wilmington of the Chicago Tribune. Brando made Don Vito something we rarely see in movies. A villain hero. A vulnerable hood. The Don is so close to a comic character... The movie itself is so close to comedy that Brando's capacity to move us in the role is doubly impressive. At the end, it is the older Godfather's tenderness we recall. And this is the best one. This is from Ron Wells of Film Threat. Here it is. One warning, however. James Kahn's shoulder hair when seen on this size screen, may frighten children considerably. You'll at least want to discuss it openly after the show, answering any questions your kids may have in an honest and direct manner, end of quote. Now that's hilarious, and I gotta tell you, they're right. It's kind of scary seeing James Caan without his shirt or in those little wife beaters that he wears in the scenes. I mean, this guy has got hair coming out of... Uh, wow. I mean, apish. Very scary. <laughs> so that was the best uh, critic uh, quote that I wanted to read to you about James Kahn's hair. And uh, he's a hairy guy. Uh, here are some of the uh, famous lines from the film I want to kind of put out there right now. And uh, here's a few of them. Uh, Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. A man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. And it's so true. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. And I've spent my life not to be careless. Women and children can be careless, but not men. Okay, um, the second half of this episode is going to be devoted to the fact that I sat down and actually had to buy this movie. Isn't that, that's not right. This is one of my favorite movies. I should own it. And I do, but it was on tape. And my VCR broke. I know, I'm pathetic. Aren't I just a little bit? Had it on a tape. What are you doing? It should be on a Blu-ray at least. Shame on me. And it should. I bought the Godfather tape years ago, people. Long time ago, I bought it. It was sort of like a collector's edition. It was like two separate tapes. And it had special features on it as well. I loved it. I still have it. But my VCR, this historic, 
machine finally just broke. And when we moved last year, I decided to go ahead and just get rid of it. It's gone. I kind of miss it. I still haven't transferred over uh, home movies that I have onto DVD, which I should also do and I've been meaning to do. And I can't watch those. I kind of like going back and watching home movies and stuff like that. I'm just a very sentimental guy. I'm just, and I'm also like having a very emotional day. It's really weird. I go through stuff like that. And like I've mentioned before, I'm not ashamed to admit it. You know, guys are emotional too. And those men that say they aren't emotional, they're lying. They are. Everybody has emotion. Behind closed doors, there are tough guys out there who cry like babies. I guarantee it. So all you guys out there say, oh, I, I don't cry. Yeah, you do. Don't, you know, I'm not saying, you know, guys are crying every day. I'm not saying that. And I don't either. I don't cry every day. But there are some days I'm a little more emotional than other times. That's all. Just things that are going on in your life, you just sort of, you know, you're emotional that day. The little things will affect you more than other days. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, I like home movies, right? I like seeing when I was a kid. I like seeing, you know, like the old house I grew up in and how it looked back then and seeing you know, my grandparents and my cousins. And we all got along really well, the cousins and I, uh, both sides of the family. I had great cousins, uh, Mike, uh, Dan, Bobby. Uh, I have uh, two cousins that live in Florida, uh, Rick and Bobby. You know, we were very close growing up and uh, we saw each other a lot. Even the ones in Florida, we go down there every year uh, for one or two weeks and visit them in the summer, go to the beach. They lived like right by the beach. It was great. It was some of the best times in my life when we go down to Florida. We'd hop in the van. My dad had this conversion van. I love that thing. I know people call it like a rapist van. It's just kind of like a shady looking van. But no, my dad had it all like looking good. He had us, you know, wax it and stuff. You ever try waxing a conversion van? It takes about a day. But anyway, uh, we would hop in the van and head out to Florida, spend a few weeks there, and it was so much fun. And I, you know, never really personally thanked my aunt and uncle for having us, you know, stay with them too during that week. And, um, you know, when I look back now and see that as a kid, you know, I'm just having fun. But, you know, I'm sure it wasn't easy to, you know, have us come live with them for, you know, a week or two while we just, you know, played on the beach and things like that. So thank you, Uncle Bill, Aunt Donna. You're awesome. And I hope you're doing well. They're still in Florida. And with the hurricane, they're fine. Uh, They lost their uh, electricity, I'm sure. And uh, I know my Uncle Bill has a lot of cleaning up to do. Uh, They're used to it. They've been down there since the 80s. So uh, thoughts going out to everybody in Florida, in Texas. What you're going through, I can't even imagine it. Wow, got really off topic right there. I apologize. You know I do that from time to time. And uh, there might be people out there that really hate when I do that and just want me to go ahead and talk about The Godfather. But then again, there might be people out there that kind of like that part of it. You get a little insight about uh, other people's lives. I find that really fascinating. I'm not a gossip guy. But I like hearing about certain things. I think everybody has that natural curiosity about life and other people about, you know, what goes on in their life. I'm a private person. I don't let a lot of things out. So this is really strange for me to be doing this uh, when I'm alone right now. I mean, and I'll just give you a little um, sneak about how I do this. It's really funny. I right now have my phone sitting on uh, 
a laundry basket. It's a, it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting cross-legged on the ground. Okay. I have my, uh, laundry basket upside down so I can place my phone on it. So it's right next to my, uh, my voice. And because I was actually, you know, I did the first uh, couple of episodes. I had, was sitting down. I'm in a walk-in closet, by the way. That's what they said you should do. It's like the best place you can do an, an episode or a podcast. You got to be in a, an enclosed area, they said, because you're blocking out sound. I mean, you don't want uh, horns honking outside. Or, you know, I had the, uh, the garbage trucks going by about a half hour ago. And if I was doing it like in my bedroom, you would have heard all of that noise. So I am in my little walk-in closet, all right? I mean, it's a decent size. It's not like extremely small, but it's a walk-in, and I'm sitting cross-legged on the ground in this little room. No ventilation. It's, uh, it's getting warm in here, you know? I'm about, uh, I can look and see, I'm about 45 minutes into this thing right now, and I'm, I'm getting to that point where I'm starting to sweat, and it's getting warm uh, everything's all closed off. There's of course no windows in here I mean, I'm completely closed off and we keep our laundry in here, our dirty laundry. And we have a, uh, another box over here in the corner. I had to take out because there were old shoes in it. I sat down here to do this episode and I, I'm sitting down and getting things ready. I got, I got my notes. I got you know everything all set. I'm making sure I got everything, you know, good. And, and I'm sitting here ready to do it. Right. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, it was, it was bad. Really bad. I don't remember it being that bad in the other episodes I did, but today, oh my God, I, I'm like, I got to get this shit out of here. There's no way I can do this podcast today. No way. I got, so I got shoes, laundry, and anything else that would smell are just like laying outside the door right now because I couldn't take it. It smells so much better in here. Man, it was those shoes, I think. We got to, there are so many freaking shoes in this house. Just the other day, I had to clean out. We have a little closet next to the the front door. And eventually, you know, the shoes just kind of get pushed into there. So there's just shoes. I opened that door a couple of days ago and like shoes were falling out. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I had to, you know, get all the shoes together, put them in a box. And I took them upstairs and I put them in here. And yeah, they smell. I may just throw them away. Okay, I'm so sorry for that rant. I really am. I apologize. Let's get back on point. The point is, I had The Godfather on tapes. So I had to go to the store on Monday. Uh, this little uh, DVD exchange place that they have in Parma Heights, Ohio here. It's a great place. You can get some movies for like a dollar. I mean, it's a wonderful place. So anyway, I got uh, The Godfather 1 for $3. 3 I was so proud of myself that I got the DVD for The Godfather because for all those years I had the tape. Really pathetic, Jeff. Hey, I'm moving on up. Here we go. I sat down on Tuesday night with my computer and I played The Godfather on my DVD and I went ahead and started watching with Francis Ford's commentary. Eh, 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 eh. You learn some good stuff. Don't get me wrong. And I'm about halfway through it. I was getting a little frustrated because you know why? I just wanted to watch the fucking movie. <laughs> getting all this insight is great. I love it. You know, it, you learn things about uh, things you wouldn't, of course, know about what's going on. 
you know, he gives you a little insight about what an actor was feeling or what they did to shoot the scene and what happened here and there, which is great. But like I said, halfway through it, I was getting frustrated. I'm just like, I don't know if I can do this whole movie like this. Listen to Francis talk. I just can't do it. I, my research, I'll just go read stuff. I just, I just want to watch the movie. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to watch the movie without Francis talking to just take it in. And then I am going to just tell you my notes about anything new I found out, my favorite parts, and any insight that you might be interested in or what I think you might want to know about. So there you go. And here it goes. Okay, the cat in the scene in the very beginning was a stray cat that was around the set. And Francis Ford had picked the cat up, put it in Brando's lap, and said play with it. Brando does, and it is a nice little scene where he's got the cat and he's petting it, and it brought something new to the character, and it just worked. Take notice of Brando at the end of the scene, the very first scene, and he sniffs the rose that is pinned to his chest. I just love that moment. It's so... The way he just... You know, the door closes, and he's kind of talking, and he just... And he looks down, he sees the rose, and he, he you know, he picks up, he puts it to his nose, just like, and he smells it. That's so great. Little things, once again, I'm sure Robert Duvall loves shit like that, and so do I. <laughs> just take the rose and put it up to give a little sniff, see if it smells good. I mean, who thinks of that shit? Brando does. Also of note is watching James Kahn in the background and his body language. I love the way Francis introduces all of his main characters in the opening scene, the wedding scene. You get to see their major traits for us to see right off the bat. Uh, Michael's entrance is nice with Francis showing us his uh, uh, father, which is the Don, peeking through the blinds to get a glimpse of him. I love how uneasy Brando looks when he is about to see the big Luca Brazzi, uh, the big guy, his, uh, his tough guy that he goes out and does you know, dirty deeds for the Don, um, their scene is full of a little tidbits that I think you'll enjoy. Uh, Luca Brazzi, the character, uh, was played by a wrestler, and he was very nervous about giving his lines, and especially nervous having to act si- alongside Marlon Brando. Uh, so during their scenes, he has trouble spitting out his lines, and Francis decided to use his stage fright and play it into the character. And you can see during their scenes together, especially in the beginning there, where Luca Brazzi comes in to thank the Don for inviting him to his daughter's wedding. And uh, Marlon Brando's character doesn't even want to see him. You know, he's, I think he even makes the Don nervous, this guy. And, you know, Brazzi comes in and he's stumbling over his lines. He can't even get the lines out right. And I think that was all natural. He was that nervous, this guy. He wasn't an actor. He was a wrestler. And he got hired on to do this role that he was nervous to do. And I think that's what Francis loved about him is that he was like this big guy, but he was like scared in a way. And he's doing the scene with Brando, messing up his lines. And then Francis shows Brando and you could see his face. is like, he's trying to hold back cracking up. They must've been. And I also hear that they were putting like things on their like notes on their foreheads and in their mouths at one point. They would put like, fuck you. They would write fuck you on a little piece of paper and put it on their tongue. And then when the other actor was saying their lines, Brando would stick out his tongue and it had fuck you. And then he would have one on his tongue and 
fuck you too. And then Brando would put notes on his forehead saying, you know, don't mess up your lines. So I'm sure they were having a blast. And Francis probably, although it was very entertaining, might have been getting a little like, okay, guys, let's just get this done. Uh, The scene of Al Pacino and Diane Keaton in in the beginning was actually shot at night. But you wouldn't know it because of the wonderful lighting. I thought that was interesting. Um, The introduction of Fredo is fantastic. How he tries to kiss Kay and basically, you know, being nice and everything, but he's all fumbling around because he's drunk. And he goes in to kiss her and she's like backing away. Like, I don't even know this guy. You know, he's just so fun to watch. John Cazale. And I guess him and Al were very good friends. Uh, They did a lot of stage work together in the past. The two of them were very close. And I think they enjoyed the fact that they were working in this picture together. And also, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the character called Johnny Fontaine, loosely based on Frank Sinatra, well, he comes to the wedding, and it's a big deal. Everybody's like, oh, my God, it's Johnny Fontaine. Yay! And he sings a little song, and the Don is excited to see him, right? He's a, this big star, right? And uh, Brando's character had a lot to do with getting him to the top, so to speak, by pulling strings. And the story of the, the band leader story, the story is that Johnny Fontaine was uh, working in clubs and had a contract with uh, a very small-time producer. Well, Johnny was starting to get offers from other people, and he wanted to break out of this contract. And the other production company said, no, you're staying with us. We have a contract. You're staying here. Well, Johnny went to his godfather and said, "Uh, you know what, can you get this guy to break the contract? And the story is, that Brando sent out Luca Brazzi, the big guy, the wrestler, to see this producer. And within an hour, he had signed a contract to release Johnny. Basically, what Luca Brazzi said is that either his brains or his signature would end up on the contract. So I guess uh, the signature was going to be just fine. You know, so, so Johnny had come to see The Godfather and asked him to be in this movie, right? And I guess the actor... Uh, that played Johnny Fontaine, was having a hard time with the scene. Uh, Also kind of a novice actor as well. And uh, it was such a hard scene to do for him that Francis decided to move the camera behind him. And if you notice, when that scene is going on, you're only seeing the back of Johnny at one point. And Brando was getting so frustrated with the fact that they had to do the scene over and over and and the actor himself was not getting it right. Brando got so frustrated That's where you see him hitting Johnny. That was not planned in any way. That was all Brando. He was so frustrated with this guy, he slapped him in the face. Isn't that great? And it got an authentic uh, reaction from the Johnny character. I mean, if you take a look at his face, he's like, he he was so shocked. Like, his head actually, like, went down a little bit. Like, like, like he hit me. And he was probably waiting for Francis to stop (laughs) the shot. You know, like, uh, but it, Francis is like, no way. That was gold right there. You keep going. He just slapped him in the face. Did you see that? And it worked out fantastic. A great scene. And when Johnny leaves the room after uh, the Godfather promises, you know, him, listen, you know, be a man. Uh, go see your family. Uh, take a couple weeks off. Eat. You look skinny. And, then, you know, in a couple weeks, you're going to have that role. Now get out of here. And Johnny kind of, you know, leaves the room. The door closes. I love, and this is just little stuff, I love the reaction from Brando after he closes the door and he just goes, <sighs> it's just little shit like that. What is that with me? 
And Brando, like, we have this thing. I have this thing with him. I watch every little gesture he makes. It just, it's entertaining to me to see him do things like that. And I don't know, the way he closes it, I just, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, what we just went through. It's just uh, such a pain in the ass. <laughs> and it probably was. Uh, the Godfather was made with a budget of $6 million and also done in 62 days, which is simply amazing. It was a true low-budget film for the magnitude of this film, I thought. And uh, Francis had worked with Bobby Duvall and James Caan in The Rain People, a movie he did uh, about, I would say, probably about three or four years before The Godfather. The horsehead scene was very controversial. And I'm going to tell you why. Uh, and this is strange. You have this movie about mafia, right? Activities, things like that. And of course, if you do a movie about the mafia... More than likely, you're doing a movie about, oh, I don't know, murder. And you have people being more upset about a horse's head in a bed than human beings being shot up all over the place. Of course, uh, activists were concerned if any animal was hurt during the filming of this movie. And it, rest assured, people out there, it's okay. It was a real horse's head, by the way. That was not fake. You know, watching this movie, I'm like, damn, man, that really looks like a horse's head. They did a good job of faking that. No, no, that was a real head. What they did was they got in touch with some company um, that got them in touch with uh, someone that was, had a horse farm, okay? And Francis Ford had asked, listen, uh, because you have so many horses, I'm sure some pass away and from time to time. Well, when one dies... Can you uh, go ahead, chop their head off, and send it to us on ice? And I'm sure they paid him handsomely, and they did. So they had a real head shipped out to the studio, packed in ice, and when the time was right to shoot the film and that scene, they uh, got the box out, uh, got it all, you know, bloody with fake blood, and uh, put it in his bed. So nice little tidbit about the horse's head. The horse head was real, but it was already dead. Okay, so we're all good. Hey, I'm an animal lover. Believe me. And uh, I thought that horse's head was fake, but it was real. So if I found out that that was a real horse's head, and uh, how did they do that? They didn't go out and, you know, chop some horse's head off, did they? No, they, they didn't. They did it in a very humane way. It was already dead. Uh, the shooting of this film... Uh, was not shot in sequence, and this is very common. Most films are not shot from first scene to last. There are some directors that love it that way, and that's ideal, but that's not reality, okay? There are, there are scenes that you have to shoot at a certain location at a certain time, so those are the ones you do first. So, for example, the very first scene that was shot for Francis Ford was when Al Pacino and Diane Keaton are coming out of the toy store. That was the very sh first shot of the scene, of the movie, okay? And the second one was Robert Duvall's character walking out of the toy store with the sled and everything. That was the second shot. So I, I thought I'd go ahead and give that little tidbit as well. I love the Salazzo character. He's so confident. And I love it when he tells Tom Hagen, uh, you know, if I wanted you dead, you would have been dead already, Right? Uh, John Cazal's character, uh, who played Fredo, 
was so sensitive when the Godfather was shot while buying fruit. And he tells Papa, you know, you can tell he's really heartbroken. And George Lucas had actually helped Francis shoot that uh, scene. And, uh, and I mentioned that earlier, that he was hanging around the set a lot. Uh, Francis wanted so badly to have a phone booth for Michael uh, to run across from the Radio City mu- Music Hall. And there wasn't. There was no phone booth there. And he was like, oh, God, you know, it would be so freaking perfect if there was a phone booth there. And didn't realize that he could actually get that done. Someone in the, uh, the staff said, oh, yeah, we'll take care of that for you. And he was amazed by that. And the next day, right across from Radio City Music Hall was a phone booth. Uh, the scene where Tom Hagen is being talked to by Salazzo was done in a deserted diner. And there was sn- a snowstorm going on outside during this time. While they're filming this scene, I guess it was a really bad storm outside. And Francis was, was a little concerned that because of the wind that it would affect the sound. But it didn't. Uh, the scene is, is very good. And uh, Francis also points out that he loves unpredictable weather. Because it's like a gift from nature, uh, using nature like that. Uh, you get free special effects for a film. And in that scene, when they're done in the diner and Salazzo is going to let him go, they leave the diner and they, they're ready to get into the car. You could see the snow flying around. That is real snow. It's not fake. And Francis says that when he went back later and took a look at that scene, he felt that it had snowed more than that. He's like, what, did they take snow out of the scene? I didn't tell them to do anything. But he says that uh, it was a pretty bad storm that night. There are a number of neighborhood playhouse actors in this film. And I thought I'd point that out because <clears throat> I went to the playhouse. Okay, Bobby Duvall went to the playhouse, Jimmy Kahn, and Diane Keaton. All right, go playhouse, go. Uh, the actor that played Paulie is catching on that his life might be in danger because they found out that he was the rat. So when he tells Rocco when he gets into the car to move to the other side, I guess Rocco was sitting behind him, like directly behind him, and he was nervous they were going to whack him right there and then. And he says, Rocco, why don't you go ahead and sit on the other side? I always thought that was a cool little part. I love the scene where uh, all the gangsters are sitting in the kitchen eating, and then you have the character of Clemenza. He's, he's making spaghetti sauce. And Francis Ford wanted to put that in on purpose to kind of show you how Italians go about in making their sauce. And uh, the Clemenza character actually runs through a list through Michael, right? He's telling Michael how to make it, but Francis really wanted to tell us about how Italians make their sauce. And then Mario Puzo actually confronted uh, Francis Ford about this and said, listen, you have written in the script that you brown sausage? He goes, no, no, no. No. Gangsters don't brown sausage. They fry it. I love that. Now, Francis Ford says that the scene where Michael and Kay are in the hotel eating uh, a dinner, this is the last time that Michael will see her in a while. He set that scene up, uh, and before that, with it being shot, he had them in that hotel room. Francis had the wine and a dinner there for them already and wanted them to have a nice romantic dinner together before they shot the scene. So for two hours, they, they took their time, they had their dinner, they finished a bottle of wine, got comfortable with one another, 
and they shot the scene, which is a great scene, and you know why? It worked. What Francis did was sort of like a little matchmaker because the two of those guys, sorry, the two of those actors would go on to have a long relationship with one another after the filming of this movie. Uh, Michael displays himself to show leadership and control and coolness. He stayed cool during this sequence, helping his father being moved to another room. Now, this is the part in the film where the Don gets shot, okay? And he's in the hospital, this creepy hospital. Now, I think hospitals are creepy anyway. I don't care what hospital it is. I hate hospitals. Hate, okay? And uh, the Don was uh, in this hospital, this creepy little hospital, like nobody around. And Michael goes to visit him. There's like nobody there. And he's getting suspicious. He goes, where are even the detectives and the police were gone. And you get to see the character and Al Pacino really take something here. He is calm. He's collected. There's a situation going on. He's got a feeling that his dad is going to get shot this night. They're going to take care of it. They didn't finish him off before. Okay. But tonight they pulled all the guards and someone's going to come in there and they're going to shoot him for good. So Michael gets that sense. He plays it real nice and cool. He has the nurse help him move his father to another room. And that's what they do. And then they get a visitor, uh, someone coming to see the Don as well. And Michael has him sort of help him out uh, by going outside the hospital and making it look like they're guards. And the, uh, the person that came to visit uh, was a florist, I believe, or a baker or something like that. And, uh, you know, he's standing outside with Michael acting like they're guards. So the car pulls up that's going to assassinate and take care of the Don and notice that there's two people standing outside. And so, you know, they slow down, look, and uh, Michael's character makes for his, uh, his vest jacket. Like, he's going to get something out, like a gun. Goes, now, of course, there's no gun there. He's not carrying a gun. But he goes to make it look like he is. And so they speed away, thinking, ah, oh, man, we didn't get the guards off. We can't go in there. And the guy he's with that help, was helping him out, the florist, is visibly shaken. I mean, you, he goes to the light a cigarette, and he is just, it's ridiculous how much he's shaking. He's so nervous, so scared. And what's Michael like? Calm and collected. He takes the man's uh, um, lighter, you know, uh, gently presses it. It lights, very calm, steady hands, puts it back in the floor's pocket, and that's that. Now, the police chief would show up a few moments later and ask what's going on. And because the police chief is corrupt, the plan did not work. And he's wondering who this Michael guy is. He's like, who are you? And uh, it's explained that he's a war hero and he's just protecting his father. So Michael asks the police officer, what happened to the guards that were supposed to protect my father? And he puts it together that this cop, he's bad. And the cop is catching on as well. He's being pointed out. And says, you know, I want you to stand him up. And he ends up punching him in the face real hard. So hard that in the book, uh, it becomes a problem for Michael in the book. They don't really explain it too much in the movie. But in the book, uh, he punches him so hard that it cracks the cheeks, the cheek muscles, you know, the high cheekbone in your muscle. It cracked it and it gave him a world of hurt in the form of sinuses. And oh boy, I can attest to that. I have a lot of problems with my sinuses. So if you notice in the film, uh, El Pacino plays on this. I'm sure he read the book. And in the book, you will notice that 
uh, in the movie, I mean, you will notice that Michael will carry around a handkerchief and dab his nose from time to time. And before I had read the book, I didn't notice that. But after I read the book, I was like, oh, oh, okay, it's a nice little touch. He has sinus trouble throughout the rest of the film. Now, James Kahn did extensive research on gangsters and hung out with them. That was a big no-no, but he did it anyway. Francis stayed away, like I mentioned before, but Sonny was all about it. And uh, I guess it gave James Kahn uh, a bit of a heads up about uh, how mafia life really is. And it helped him with his scene. He took that chance. He took that risk. And I guess it worked for him. He was that type of guy. It didn't bother him. Whenever you see oranges in this film, it is a foreshadow of death for the Corleone family. Francis had Brando, Khan, Duvall, Pacino, and Talia Shire improvise a scene eating dinner together. And I found this pretty fascinating. He had all of them sit down and eat dinner, improvise as the characters to sort of get used to each other and become closer. And that's exactly what happened. They were goofing around. He wanted to see how they would pass the sausage back and forth to each other, things like that. And they really did have fun on set together, doing practical jokes and mooning one another. They had mooning contests and they were just mooning each other left and right, especially the guys, of course. Uh, Brando even handed out championship belts for the best mooners. Uh, the killing of Salazzo, that scene, is so good. How nervous is that character, Michael, driving to that place in the car? And I guess it wasn't a real car. It was on set in the studio. But man, that really looked like a real car. So doing my research, I found that interesting. And I found out something new there. Um, the restaurant that they ended up eating in looked like a great place to eat, didn't it? It was called Louise. And I guess it was right off the L train there in New York. Man, those were the best places to eat in New York City. Those little Italian restaurants. And those are hard to find here in Cleveland. I mean, we do have um, a downtown. We do have uh, an Italian uh, city. They call it Little Italy, uh, where they have a bunch of little restaurants that you can uh, eat. Um, but they're okay. It's hard finding a really good Italian restaurant here in Cleveland. And if anybody knows of a great Italian restaurant, a real authentic Italian restaurant. Please let me know. I want it. I want that place. Give me a name. All right. I love Italian food, so it's like my favorite. Chinese and Italian is my favorite. Okay. Al Lettery's performance, and that was Salazzo, and acting really complimented Pacino very well in this scene. And you get a very authentic feel. Uh, they speak Italian in this scene. And here you go. Here's the translation of what they were really saying to one another. Salazzo begins with, I am sorry. What happened to your father was business. I have much respect for your father, but your father, his thinking is old-fashioned. You must understand why I had to do that. Now let's work through where we go from here. When Michael returns from the bathroom, he continues in Italian with, Everything all right? And then he goes on to say, I respect myself, understand, and cannot allow another man to hold me back. What happened was unavoidable. I had the unspoken support of the other family dons. If your father were in better health, without his eldest son running things, no disrespect intended, we wouldn't have this nonsense. 
We will stop fighting until your father is well and can resume bargaining. No vengeance will be taken. We will have peace. But your family should interfere no longer. Yeah, I, I always wondered what they were saying. I, I always tried to kind of guess what they were saying, and I was way off. I did get a little bit of it, but uh, I did learn a little bit about, about what they were saying in that scene. The buildup of emotion that Pacino does before he shoots him, and they have that close-up of his face right before he pulls the trigger, is just some great moments in acting for Pacino. Brilliant. Now, it is said that Brando placed lead weights on his stretcher as a practical joke during filming. So this is what happened. Uh, Brando's character is uh, healing up uh, and now is being shipped back home. And he's so not doing well, he's on a stretcher, right? So there are two uh, people that have to carry the stretcher from the bottom of the stairs up to his bedroom, which is at the top of the stairs. So Brando put in lead weights underneath his blankets so they couldn't see it. And the two men who thought they had to carry around 250 pounds of weight ended up carrying over 600 pounds of weight. So everybody had a nice little laugh because the guys were, you know, saying that, oh, it won't be any problem carrying Brando. We're, we're big, strong guys. And they ended up struggling, pulling this thing up the stairs. The scene between Khan and Duval is memorable as well. Khan wants to kill everyone to avenge the attempted assassination of his dad, and Duval puts him in his place. I loved seeing the countryside of Sicily. And that really is Sicily. It is so beautiful. And I just had a coworker of mine come back from Italy. He was there for about three weeks. He goes almost every other year. He's Italian, and he goes back and sees uh, some old family that he has that, that still live there. And he came back yesterday, and we talked about it. I even brought up The Godfather. And when I think of Italy and Sicily, I think of that film and how they're walking around the hills, and it just looks so beautiful. All the villas and... You see, like, all the, the homes built into the mountains. It's just something else. And I hope someday I have the opportunity to go to Europe, and especially Italy. I would love to see that. It would be so beautiful to see. Um, Al Pacino, and I it just, it's amazing to me. It just hit me once again while watching this film. Al Pacino is so perfect as Michael. It, it seems to me that might be some of the best casting ever. And watching this again for the upteenth time, it solidifies my belief of how impressive Al Pacino is in this role and how he transformed this character. And don't you just adore the part when James Kahn's character beats the heaven living shit out of uh, Connie's husband, which is his sister's husband, because he was slapping her around? Well, Kahn's character finds out about it. And he goes out and catches him, runs him down, and just beats him with a, a garbage can lid and, and kicks him and bites his hand and just beats the shit out of him because he was slapping around his sister. And uh, I love it. He deserved every single hit he got because a man that hits another woman isn't a real man, okay? They're cowards. And the scene where this, this guy is beating on the sister and he takes off his belt and starts slapping her with it and beating her with it, chasing her around... And they ultimately end up in the bathroom and the door closes so you can't see what's going on in there, but you can hear it. And sometimes that is even worse because your imagination just takes off. 
Francis says that Robert Duvall often only needed one or two takes to nail a scene. He gave high marks to Duvall. A nice aspect of this film is when the script brings the undertaker, who is in the opening scene, back into the story. He helps restore the bullet-ridden body of Sonny. It's amazing how much Brando looks like a damn bulldog. <laughs> when I'm watching this movie again, uh, I, I really looked at him this time, and the way his face droops down uh, in the cheek area is really cool. Like, he really, if you look at his face, he truly does look like a bulldog. And I want to play for you a clip of Francis Ford Coppola talking about the process of casting Marlon Brando for this film. Go ahead, give a listen to this. said, no, absolutely not. I won't quote his name, but they all sat there and finally they said, Francis, as president of Paramount Pictures, I want you to know formally that Marlon Brando will not appear in this motion picture, in which case I just threw myself on the ground and had like a mock epileptic fit. Like, <laughs> what do you want from me? I said, I'm bringing you what I think would be great casting, and you're just like categorically not even allowing me to pursue it. So they all conferred, these guys, and they came back and they said to me, all right, we give you three conditions. A, he must do a screen test. B, he must put up a bond to uh, ensure us that if any of his bad behavior uh, causes a mess up of the, of the production, uh, that, that we can be reimbursed. And third, he must do the film for nothing. I said, okay. <laughs> so I call up Brando, and I don't know him. I said, listen, yes, I'm doing this godfather thing and i didn't say you have to do it for nothing and you have to and i thought i just thought it would be wonderful if if, if i could come and we could do a few makeup tests that was going to be the screen test and right so he said all right you know so <laughs> we arrive at his house early in the morning and i brought like a little package i always like to bring props for actors so i brought like italian cheese and little uh little italian cigars and little olives, and I just put them in little dishes, and uh, he sees what I'm doing. Now, one thing about Marlon, he is like one very, 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 very intelligent man, so he kind of got the drift of what I was doing, and he says, uh, yeah, this guy, he says, uh, takes off his coat, and he says, well, I was thinking that, you know, those guys, and he's putting up the ponytail, and I'm videotaping him, and you know, so he takes the cheese, and uh, he says, <laughs> This is really how he did it. Meanwhile, he's putting shoe polish on his hair. He says, you know, he says, in the book, he gets shot in the throat, so I think he should talk, you know. Oh, it's like, uh, he never got that. And he puts, then he says, he takes some tissue paper, and he says, this should be like a bulldog. He says, and he puts it in. And I'm amazed, because this transformation is happening mm. from this handsome guy with a ponytail into this Italian guy like my Uncle Louie. <laughs> So now I had this extraordinary tape, so I figured I'm going to take it to Charlie Bluthorn. And he sees Brando in a blonde pigtail, and he looks and he says, No, no, I told you, absolutely, absolutely, that's incredible. <laughs> that goes to show how much Brando really did care about acting. Uh, he may not have given 100% all the time in the films that he really didn't care about or was just getting a paycheck. 
but he really liked to act. I think he loved it. I mean, he went through all that. He loved going through that process of becoming another person, slicking your hair back, putting stuff in your mouth, uh, wanting to transform yourself. Even though he said that he felt acting was a bum's life, I don't know why he said shit like that. Who even knows? I mean, people are people, right? They say stupid shit just to get reaction out of people, maybe. But uh, I love that little clip. So there was a nice little insight about the casting process. And someone of Brando's stature having to do a screen test for a film is downright ludicrous. But he was so on a bad streak that it didn't seem like he was offended by that. He went and did the process and ultimately got cast as the Godfather. My favorite scene in the film is with Pacino and Brando in the garden talking about their strategy and talking about other personal stuff. Like uh, Brando's character brings up his son, uh, Michael's son. Uh, you know, how's your son? And they have a nice little conversation about the fact that he likes to read the, uh, the funny papers and that his son's already smarter than him. And you get a nice little reaction from the both of them. Nice little scene. Um, you can see Brando switching thought and doing it beautifully. The Godfather received 11 Oscar nominations and three victories. The three wins were, were for Best Picture, Best Actor Marlon Brando, and Best Screenplay. They had three nominations in the Best Supporting Actor category, which is very rare. Duvall was nominated, so was Khan, and of course Al Pacino. Best Director was also nominated, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Music. The whole point of this film is to show that there is not much difference between politics and the underworld. The intriguing dialogue between Michael and Kay says it all. Remember? And it's this. Michael is trying to convince her that the Corleone family will be legit within a few years. And she claims he is being naive. Michael says his father is no different from any powerful man. And she replies that politicians don't have men killed. Then he retorts, look who's being naive, Kay. God, good stuff. Vito Corleone did not want to be controlled by anyone. And he took matters into his own hands. But his ultimate dream was to have his children become senators or governors. That they would be the ones pulling the strings. The Godfather changed the lives of so many people involved with this film. Coppola became an important director. Brando had his comeback film. Pacino, Khan, Duvall, Diane Keaton, and Francis's sister, Talia Shire, launched their careers. This film gave all of us, the audience, a precious gift. It was an honor talking about The Godfather. I went a little longer than I wanted to, but hey, it is what it is, right? I might go back, edit some stuff out. I wanted to keep all of my episodes within around an hour, either a little under or a little over. I wanted to keep it right around there. So this is uh, the longest one I've ever done. Uh, I, I am currently at an hour and 20 minutes around there. Ouch. I guess I might have to do some editing. Um, so if it's a little less when I launch it, um, you'll know why. I cut some stuff out. Uh, so sorry if I did. But I may keep everything. Who knows? It might be an hour and 30 minutes. Who knows? 
All right. Um, I hope I did a good job. I felt that I did. Uh, we'll see about the structure. I'm going to give a listen to this. And when I do another movie in the future, uh, maybe I'll change some things up. I'm sure I will. I like to switch things up anyway. It's just to kind of keep it fresh, keep it different. Uh, just little changes make a world of difference uh, doing things like that. So I hope that this aspect of the show, the podcast, doing a movie worked out okay. And talking about The Godfather was so much fun. I sat here today and I talked and I talked about it and I, I loved every second of it. Uh, talking about The Godfather is something that is a, a passionate thing for me to do. And sharing it with you is so, it's so therapeutic for me to do this. Talking about acting and film and all the things that I love to do. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing the next episode. And this is going to be the very first time I tell you, guess what? You'll have to wait and see. I haven't decided yet. So next week when my uh, episode comes up, it'll be a little bit of a surprise. How about that? <laughs> Let me sleep on it. I got done with this Godfather episode a little earlier than I usually do the uh, other episodes I've done. Uh, for me, this is a Friday. And I usually finish around like Monday, Tuesday. I kind of wrap it all up. I'll do a little bit of editing probably, but I'm done talking for now. So I'm going to go ahead and think about the next episode and what I'm going to do because I wrapped it all up sort of tightly with uh, talking about Pacino and Brando and Duvall and, and they're all in The Godfather and it kind of worked out that way. That's why I wanted to do The Godfather next. So now that I did The Godfather, I can kind of go a couple of different places. So we'll see where I go with it. I'm actually a little excited to see where I go what kind of pops in my mind. So that's what I'm going to do. And I am going to end this episode by saying, give ratings and comments. I'm getting a few reviews uh, and it's exciting. And uh, that's a good thing. So please, you're listening. Uh, go ahead and leave those. I, I will look at them. And if you go ahead and subscribe and leave reviews, my show will go up in the uh, order that the category is in iTunes, which means it's getting more popular. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was falling drastically. And now that I looked the other day, I actually rose a few spots. So hey, there you go. And you can always check out the Facebook page. And I have links to my website on there. Uh, the website is actually pretty cool. It's not extravagant, but it does have a little synopsis about my episodes and you can see pictures. And my Facebook page also has pictures that you can look at uh, of the actors that I've done and the movies that I'm going to do. So go ahead and check that out. And of course, I will leave you with this. Put a movie tonight, one that you love, you sit back, you put your feet up, and you enjoy it. Uh, hopefully that you had a good day today, and I hope you have a great day tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to The Actors Room in this edition, The Godfather. God bless. Have a good one.